This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Mommy, mommy, when I grow up, can I be a life insurance actuary? If you mostly get A-minuses and go to bed before 10.30, then maybe. Oh boy, really? Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and don't you love mashups? You know, uh, jazz and electronica, hair bands and classical, or how about life insurance, movies, and credit repair? That's what we have today, because coming down to the basement to talk movies, we welcome from Haven Life, Brittany Bergett. Plus, helping us with letters about debt repayment, attorney Leslie Tain. Plus, in our headline segment, what have millennials changed forever besides avocado toast? We have the must-listen-to list. But that's not all. Oh, no, no, no. Of course, we'll top this baby off with my movie-themed trivia. And now, two guys who play characters in a podcast three times a week. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. I like those commercials where you dress a guy up to look like a doctor, but he's not really a doctor. Yeah, I'm the one that uh, looks like George Clooney, like from ER. Yes, except wider and less handsome. Exactly the same. Burn. Yeah. Welcome to the Stacky Benjamin Show, everybody. Just so you know which voice is which. On this side of the card table, I'm Joe Saul Cihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the table from me, not the fake OG on Twitter, it's the real OG. And I do think that uh, me and me and George have some similarities. I think you have more in common with Curious George than George Clooney. Nice. <laughs> but one, uh-huh. one George or another. By the way, if you're trying to go to school, maybe to increase your acting ability so you are more like George Clooney, maybe you want to get into the movies or become an actuary. Like, uh, big shout out there to my niece, Emma, for kicking off today's show and my sister-in-law, Rachel. If you need help... With figuring out how to pay for school, your first stop should be Student Loan Hero. At Student Loan Hero, you can compare and contrast all the different options for student loans. And of course, you want to do the ROI before you do that OG on your college degree in the first place to make sure that taking a student loan makes sense. But if it does, studentloanhero.com is your first source to compare and contrast all your options when it comes to funding college with student loans. We got a great show today. We got Brittany Burgett here. We're going to talk about life insurance. I love this idea of looking at life insurance, OG, through the eyes of some of our favorite characters. 
because life insurance, you, you know, how the, sometimes people go, I don't get life insurance. I don't understand how they do that. But if we're going to pretend that Don Draper is applying for life insurance or Pam Beasley from the office, and we see how an actuary would look at them, I think it gives you a better idea of how insurance companies work. Sounds like a fun game. I'm in. Well, then let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Before we get to Brittany, we've got a couple headlines today. Our first headline comes to us from Napa-Net. That's the National Association of Plan Advisors, the people who run pension funds and retirement plans. This is from their Industry Trends and Research column written by Nevin Adams. Target date funds in the news, OG. Target date funds continue to proliferate. And though a mere handful of firms dominate that space, the retirement assets of an entire generation seem headed in that direction. This week, Napa-Net readers weighed in on how, if the recommendations have changed. We were, first of all, curious as to how many target date fund families were on readers short list of recommendations. Roughly one in four had three families on their list, while nearly as many said they had four families on their recommendation roster. One in 10 said they actually had more than five. If you're a retirement plan advisor, why would you be looking at more than five different fund families for target date funds? Hmm. I don't know why you'd use more than two, frankly. Well, in most cases, I don't know why you'd use any, but I get it. Well, I mean, these people are uh, recommending yeah. uh, them to uh, them. I had that. I should have got that one. Yes. But they are recommending them to their clients to put inside a 401k plan. And I totally get target date funds being a part of a 401k plan as an option. Well, they use them for what's called a qualified alternative. So there's some plans that just automatically enroll you which is great. We like that. We like it when people are automatically enrolled. Or if they're not automatically enrolled, there's some plans that just have automatic uh, employer contributions, which are great too. So there has to be an option for where does that money go? And so plan providers have figured out that the easiest thing to do is just to create a suite of target date funds. And then based on your age, your money goes into that target. If you don't pick anything else, your money goes into that target date fund. Makes it uh, a lot easier on their ERISA requirement. That's right. The big debate is this idea of to or through. On what is perhaps a fundamental glide path question, funds focused on going through the target date enjoyed a slight preference compared with readers who favored those with a two target date focus. Just over four in 10 indicated that while it depended on the client, they mostly recommended through options. About a third said it also depended on the client, but mostly recommended two options. Let's explain this debate because a lot of people don't even know this exists, OG. If you're looking at target date funds, what's the difference between two and through? Well, I guess to borrow a phrase that uh, is so near and dear to my heart, it depends on if you want to land the plane or, <laughs> which is so terrible to say <laughs> when it comes to money. You know, do you want your portfolio to be conservative when you hit a date or do you want it to start getting conservative when you hit a date? So let's say that you have a target date fund that the target date is retirement at 65. Your portfolio will either start slowing down, if you will, so that when you hit 65, it's conservative. Or do you want it to keep going fast and then at 65, it starts slowing down from that point forward? Both of those approaches. Neither of those options work, by the way. They I was, both suck. I was just about to say, both of them have problems. 
the, the, yes. let's talk about the two option. If your if your portfolio is completely landed, if that plane's completely on the ground, you're backing off the gas way too soon because you're not yeah. going to use all that money on that date. Well, that's the biggest problem with target date funds. I think overall, well, one of the one of the biggest problems is that it makes it makes you get too conservative too early. And I would even argue the other side of it, the you know through plan, like we were talking about, is still too conservative. But the idea is, is that you don't need all of your money on the same day. You need some. You need tomorrow and you need next month and maybe the next year or two. But if you're 65 and you have a million dollar portfolio and you say, okay, I'm going to live on 40000 a year, that's fantastic. But the only way that you can continue that 40000 a year when you're 80 is if the vast majority of that money is invested for the long term. And if you use a target product and it gets to the point where it's really conservative at 65 and God forbid it starts getting conservative long before that, like in your early fifties, you're missing out on those opportunities. Great question to ask right there. When you're looking into target date funds, is it to or through? And then the next question to ask is to yourself, is this, is this actually what I want to be using? Our second piece comes to us from Kiplinger. This is written by Andrea Brown Taylor. Nine things millennials are changing forever, like it or not. Boy, yeah, I found this very interesting. Clickbait. No, there's there's some kickers in here that I found very interesting. It's not always easy being a millennial. Born between night, and they'll be the first to tell you. Sure. (laughs) Sucks being a kid. Born between 1981 and 1996. Many members of this generation came of age during the Great Recession, 2007-2009. Jobs are scarce. Student loans were staggering. More than a few millennials forced to call their parents' basements home. Okay, that hits a little closer. Ain't nothing wrong with that. No. The economic experience left financial scars for sure, but also helped shape the nature of what's collectively known as Generation Y. Uh, Let's go through these. Number one, eating out at casual dining restaurants with millennials. Do you think that's up or down? Casual dining. Up. It's through the floor. Casual dining restaurants, sit-down establishments like the Olive Garden or IHOP. Oh, okay. That's a casual dining. Okay. I was thinking fast casual like Chipotle. They've struggled to keep up in today's rapidly changing restaurant industry. A big part of the reason why millennials vastly different preferences when dining out compared to baby boomers and Gen Xers. Millennials want HGTV-worthy decor because, well, Instagram. Health-conscious menus with lots of options, including organics, quick service, low prices, according to the National Restaurant Association. Since millennials are on track to become the biggest spenders at restaurants within the next decade. This actually, I think, Mm. has a lot to do with our portfolios. I don't like it when I read people or when people tell me they're like, no, 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 I love this stock because it's always going to be great. Right. Companies aren't always going to be great. Taste change. And the next generation wants something new. Toys R Us is never going out of business. Right. Exactly. What are you just, what are parents going to stop buying their kid toys? You crazy. Who's going to stop eating soup and salad for lunch? That's quite a bargain. Buying starter homes. That one up or down for millennials. Starter homes. I'm going to say starter homes are up. Buying a first home is a major milestone of adulthood. However, for many millennials, becoming a homeowner isn't a realistic goal anytime soon. The rate of homeownership among millennials has actually dropped eight percentage points. I'm thinking of this differently. I'm thinking like, would a millennial buy a starter home or the McMansion first? And I think I think I think they'd buy the starter home first. 
Whereas, gotcha, you know, baby boomers and um, Xers go right to the well. God's not making any more land, so yeah, I got you. No, th- this was just about the, home ownership in general. Home ownership, yeah, yes. home ownership is down. For is definitely down. They face a unique set of financial related barriers when it comes to home ownership. Notably, millennials prefer living in high cost cities where affordable housing options are extremely limited. Uh, Student loan debt also hurts millennials' ability to save enough cash for a down payment on a house. With the national median price of an existing single-family home at $254,000, it's difficult for many millennials to come up with the $51,000 needed to make a traditional 20% down payment. That that is hard, OG. That is a tough, tough thing to crack. And I actually think that's good. Uh, because you really have to learn to save some serious money. I th- I personally think that these programs that allow people to get around that 20%, not as great. Like learn how to save some serious cash first and then buy a house. I agree with you 100% on this. I mean, the, the reality is that homeownership is very expensive. And it's it goes beyond just the simple calculation that you know, uh, uh, realtors or people that try to sell mortgage guys will tell you, you know, that, that seduces you with the, Hey, your rent's 900 bucks a month here. If you bought a condo, it's 900 bucks a month also, and you'd be gaining equity. And then they forget to tell you that every so often your air conditioner stops working and that's four grand or, you know, you have to cock your windows every year. <laughs> <laughs> to borrow something from a long time ago. <laughs> I was just thinking about that the other day as I was walking around my home. I'm like, I forgot to caulk this frame. I didn't caulk. But it just costs money. You know, I mean, you buy a $250,000 house, you're going to spend $2,500 to $3,500 a year just in just boring maintenance. That's not like, oh, cool, we put in a new deck. That's like, and then I had to have this thing fixed or whatever. So. Well, and here's the bigger problem. You know, people late Gen X, early Gen Y, millennial, studies show those people are going to have five different career, five different places they work. And, yeah. and so the younger you are, the more that might be seven, eight different places you work. So what's the chance a 30-year mortgage is actually going to make sense? Because when you look at how an amortization table works, if you get a loan at 4%, and you move out of that house in 10 years, that interest rate wasn't 4%. It was a bajillion percent. That is a technical term. You're right. Yes. Bajillion. That's what, and the bankers should say that this will be a bajillion percent. They kind of do in that one little page where it says, and this is how much all of this will cost over the lifetime of that loan. You're like, holy crow. Yes. If you just make your payments on time, more than double for this thing. And by the way, we're going to get most of that up front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, shopping at brick and mortar retailers for millennials up or down? Down. I'm going to get this one right. Seriously down. Start with smartphones. It's no secret. Millennials are tethered to theirs and regularly use them to shop. Those who still go in store often go online first to research a product and read customer reviews. Then they'll visit a store to see it in person to ensure it's what they want. And that's why, OG, you're seeing retailers are having to change the game there too. Once again, as preferences change, what goes in your portfolio should also change, especially in retail. Retail's changing so much. Circuit City's never going out of business. Where would you buy your computers from? <laughs> Working out at traditional gyms, up or down for millennials? Ooh, uh, 
as I'm quite the millennial with my exercise bike, I'm going to say that it is down. That also is down. Gen Y wants specialized fitness experience over traditional gyms, by the way. <laughs> what a specialized fitness experience. That sounds like a marketing. Yes. Doesn't that sound like a, like a brand poster? We provide a specialized fitness experience here at Casa Del Quads. Well, it, and it and it's totally working. I mean, you look at these yoga studios. They talk about in here boutique fitness studios, CrossFit places, right? Mm-hmm. Places CrossFit, yeah. that offer, as this piece Peloton says, bikes, right? Unique workout programs conducted in a group setting, getting millennials to spend huge. It says, for example, the average cost of monthly gym membership uh, is thirty four bucks, according to myprotein.com's dot com's two thousand eighteen American Health and Fitness Survey. Uh, by comparison, it costs thirty-two dollars for one spin at SoulCycle. Mm-hmm. SoulCycle definitely winning winning that battle. Joining warehouse clubs, up or down? Hmm. Like the thriftness that that provides. However, I live in a tiny apartment. So where am I going to put sixty-two rolls of tissue paper? I'm going to say down. It is totally down. Uh, there's stiff competition from Amazon.com and Box.com. But the big thing is here, it's that millennials don't want to shop at the big, huge store. They want it to come to them. And the convenience of having it come to me is beating out the the, the big warehouse store. Uh, signing up for cable TV? Down. Big time down. 60% of young adults in the U.S. primarily use internet streaming to watch TV. <laughs> I saw this thing on Twitter. It said somebody was posting like the timeline of this, like cable, we package all this stuff together. And then it's like 10 years, 20 years later, like, I don't want to buy all these channels. I'm going to separate them all. And it's like, I'm going to have ESPN and then I'm going to have CNN and then I'll have this and I'll just pay individual subscriptions. (laughs) They said, mark my words in 10 years, the big move will be to the company that decided to like, Hey, you don't have to have all these subscriptions. We'll just put them all together for you in one, one price. Yeah. Bundle it all together. It's amazing. <laughs> it's the circle of life. You just have to like hold on to it long enough. Just right. Next up, and I won't go through all these. Eating, thank on, you. Eating unhealthy fast food, of course, is down. Uh, getting <sighs> married also is down. But the last one on this list, both of those are unnecessary. <laughs> just shack up. Just, That's it. Uh, last one. Saving for retirement. Oh, it's very in vogue but I'm going to say it's down. Sadly, that's also down. So millennials, we want a personalized, wonderful experience, experience, but we don't say for retirement. Yeah. The millennials are expected to live longer than baby boomers and Gen X. 66% of working millennials have nothing safe for retirement, despite working for an employer that offers a retirement savings plan, according to the National Institute for Retirement Securities, uh, 2018 report millennials in retirement among those who are retiring, most aren't saving enough. It's generally recommended that you stash at least 15% of your income away. 82% of millennials save less than 6%. Big lesson here, OG, personalize that. If you're going to personalize everything else, personalize your retirement savings. I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm so excited to introduce this guest. This is a person who's become a friend of mine over time. I remember first uh, talking to 
Brittany at a FinCon conference several years ago and learning a lot about Haven Life. And then after that, uh, writing to her and saying, hey, I think that you guys, with the type of company you are, as innovative as your company is, the company culture that you have, I think you guys would be a great fit for our show. And if you've listened to Stacky Benjamins for a long time, you know that Haven Life and Stacky Benjamins have a long history together. So who better to ask about how life insurance really works and who else would help us do it in a way that makes it so fun other than uh, my friend Brittany Burgett from Haven Life. Let's say hi to Brittany coming down the stairs to the basement. And joining us, it's about time we got her here. We've had other people on from Haven Life, inferior people, we call them. But our friend, Brittany Burgett from Haven Life joins us. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I mean, you know, you could only get me on the show if we're talking about movies and not life insurance. So not right. <laughs> right. Thank you. We'll, we'll let your own, your CEO, talk life insurance. Brittany's like, oh, movies move over. It's my turn. <laughs> Exactly. So you and I, we have this cool thing to kind of peek behind the curtain where you and I talk every couple of weeks, which I absolutely love. We talk about all things, not just life insurance. We talk about like uh, social media. We talk about who's doing what that's creative. It's really a great time to kind of for me to fuel my creative engines, so to speak. But you and I were talking one day and we're like, what if these movie characters we like we're going for life insurance. How funny would that be to talk about, to talk about movie characters? And uh, you and I were able to come up with quite a list of them. Yeah. I often will watch TV shows or movies. And obviously I've worked at Haven Life now for almost five years. So thinking about life insurance and how it works is just kind of ingrained in me at this point. But it is something that I'll be watching a show or something like that. And I'm like, man, that would be a really crappy thing for us to miss right. <laughs> on the application side. So, yeah. I had a time. I was, Cheryl and I were on in uh, Cancun, uh, Mexico, and we're, of course, on this boat, on the boat. You know, they call them the booze, booze cruise, Brittany. Mm-hmm. We're on this, and they fill us full of alcohol and next thing you know, I've got a snorkel and a mask in my hand and some dude's pushing me off the boat, like, you know, in a friendly way, pushing me off the boat. And I'm snorkeling off the coast of Cancun, just absolutely hammered. And all I could think of was, <laughs> I wonder what their liability insurance is like. You know, I don't think you and I have ever talked about this in our you know chatting session every couple of weeks, but... A thing about me with vacations is I just can't turn down a booze cruise. (laughs) Like if I can find a good booze cruise on TripAdvisor, it is immediately prioritized in the itinerary. Well, don't go on the one that comes with snorkeling after you're hammered. Don't do that one. Yeah. Usually I find that the professionals usually do the snorkeling like as the first outing on a booze cruise because they realize once it gets too far into the afternoon, you're, you know, you're toast. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I was like, I think you got to change that around, but anyway, (laughs) so, so let's get on this. You and I, we put together some people and actually went with your expertise at movies. So thank you very much. And we started off with gangsters and well, Let's play this first one. This is a clip of uh, Vito Corleone from The Godfather. And Johnny Fontaine, the actor, is begging Vito to help him get a part. 
This man out there, he won't give it to me. The head of the studio. What's his name? Waltz. Waltz. He, he won't give it to me in there. He says there's no chance. No chance. A month ago, he bought the movie rights to this book, the bestseller. And the main character is a guy just like me. Why, uh, you know, I wouldn't even have to act. Just be myself. Godfather, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You can act like a man. What's the matter with you? Is this how you turn down a Hollywood Pinocchio that uh, cries like a woman? <laughs> what can I do? What can I do? What is that, Nazi? Look at You spend time with your family? Sure, I do. Good. Because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. Come you look terrible. I want you to eat. I want you to rest well, and a month from now, this Hollywood big shot's gonna give you what you want. It's too late. They start shooting in a week. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. He's gonna make him an offer can't refuse, Brittany. And I bet he won't refuse it. Probably wouldn't be advisable. No. So he asked him if he's a family man. I feel like in this scene, Vito is asking the same things that I'm sure Haven Life asks people. They, when you get an applicant, you slap them on the cheek and go, are you a family man? Do you spend time with your family? Do you take care of yourself? You guys might not do it that way. Unfortunately, there are you know regulations with how we can you know even word questions in the application. But I do... I do think there would be something really great about adjusting our application so that it asks you, like, are you a family man or woman? You know, so you kind of get that feeling, but I don't, I don't think that'll get approved. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> so let's not talk about Johnny anymore. Johnny's about to get his part. Let's talk about Vito. What do you think about insuring from a Haven Life perspective or any insurance company perspective? Let's talk about insuring this guy. You got any problems with that? You know, I'm going to answer these more broadly from a industry perspective. One of the things that you'll get asked in the application process is, you know, what you do for work or what your career is. I'm pretty sure that there aren't any kind of processing points for someone admitting that they are a gangster. (laughs) But that said, in the application process, it's very important that you're honest. And there are guidelines about organized crime. And unfortunately for our friend Vito, that is a decline. And, you know, also you have to consider that if you want to admit, for example, that he were a gangster you know, you do always risk the fact that if he were to die in his lifestyle of organized crime, which is, you know, probably pretty likely, uh, you're risking that the claim will get paid because of dishonesty in the application process. So unfortunately for Vito, I would say my recommendation is maybe give up your criminal lifestyle if you're, you know, a true family man. Well, he he did give it up, but not in the way that, you know, people wanted him to give it up. Maybe some of the other gangsters wanted to give it up, but I don't want to spoil the series for people. Yeah, uh, are you gonna are you gonna bleep out the spoilers? Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't if, if you haven't seen a what, forty year old movie or how old is this movie? Like nineteen seventy two? Like if you haven't seen a nineteen seventy two movie, do we need to say spoiler? I don't know that we do. I don't think so. Uh but let's go over to the Sopranos for a second because I don't want to let this go what you said about applications. First of all, the Sopranos were in sanitation, supposedly taking out the trash. Right. So if he puts sanitation on his application, while he does run a sanitation company, you're saying he should probably put down the quote side hustle as well. 
I mean, I would say just to kind of level set expectations, this is an issue that we rarely have. Uh, Most people in organized crime are uh, (laughs) self-insured for the most part. If someone's in sanitation, that's, of course, a, a career path that has limited mortality risks. But if they were to put in that they have a side hustle um, and organized crime, that would immediately result in a decline. So I think takeaway from that is maybe don't be an organized crime. You know, be honest on your life insurance application, because I know most people don't believe it. But life insurance companies really do want to deliver that promise uh, to pay out claims to your beneficiaries. So don't put them in a situation where they can't. Yeah. And I remember when I was a financial planner, Brittany, from time to time, and like you said, it didn't happen often, but every once in a while, somebody would go, well, you know, I'm thinking about quitting smoking. So let's put it down and nothing, you know, that I'm a non-smoker, you know, nothing will happen. Well, this is a contract. And in that contract, if it turns out, if you pass away during what's called the contestable period, the insurance company isn't at risk. Your family might not get what you set out for in the first place. Yes, exactly. So the leading life insurers are not in the business of wanting to deny claims. It's good business to deliver on the promise that you're giving to these policyholders and ultimately their families, right? Um, But when it comes to you know, something like smoking, which I think is a great example because it's a more common one. You're right. You need to be honest in the application process because you do start risking, um, especially during that, you know, typically two-year contestability period, that an insurer would not pay out the claim. You would, your family would get the premiums back that you paid if a claim is denied, but regardless, that's not the point of, you know, life insurance. And I think what most people don't realize um, and this this came up recently in a Q&A we did with a lifestyle website is people think, oh, I'll put off buying coverage until I'm a little bit healthier. Maybe I want to lose some weight or perhaps I want to quit smoking. But the reality is you can get coverage in place now, right? While you're healthy as you know, healthy as maybe you're going to be because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But if you do finally quit smoking, if you do have a significant lifestyle change where you get healthier, you can actually go back to your life insurer and opt to be re-underwritten, which could potentially drop your rates. So someone who's a smoker, instead of being dishonest in the application process, you know, be honest, you know, pay the premium that you're going to have to for, you know, being a smoker. And then once you do fully quit smoking, go in and get re-underwritten and it'll drop you to non-tobacco rates. Let's look at another uh, gangster here for just a second. This is one of my favorite gangsters. This is Thomas Shelby from the series, the Netflix. He's one of my favorites too. I I love this guy from (laughs) Peaky Blinders. (laughs) You've lost your wife. And now your brother, too. I thought it would make you different. What? Tell me! Hey! This is who I am! Now look at me. But it doesn't seem to change you. Nothing seems to change you. Look at me. This is the end. That's the voice of Thomas Shelby right there saying this is the end. And 
I swear watching every every season of this, Brittany, that he always thinks this is the end. And there's always bad stuff swirling. He loses, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, loses people very close to him. And it sends him further and further and further into this madness. And I don't really want to get into that too much because I think we did that enough with Vito Corleone. I want to get more into this idea of, you know, maybe dangerous side hustles like not organized crime like Thomas is in, but let's say somebody likes to race cars or they like to skydive. What happens on a life insurance application with those pursuits? In terms of riskier hobbies or side hustles, um, that's absolutely something that should be disclosed and is considered in the life insurance underwriting process. The rules on that really do vary across insurers. So it's difficult to say specifically, you know, what the outcome would be. It depends on the frequency, you know, which insurance company you're applying for. And of course, all the other data points on your your health, your age, how much you're applying for, etc. But that is something that would be considered in terms of your eligibility uh, and your pricing. Is that the type of thing where uh, generally a company, if they're going to say no, they might say, we will insure you, but not if you pass away in a car accident, let's say, if you're a race car driver, like they won't insure that piece, but they'll insure everything else. Are there just exceptions or is it a yes, no deal? Or does that depend on the insurance company? That does depend on the insurance company, but there are exclusion riders that do exactly what you're discussing, Joe, that exclude death by particular activities or even sometimes, you know, there's coverage, as you know, that won't protect against certain illnesses or things like that. So there's certainly out there in the marketplace, there seems to be a kind of policy for every individual. You know, I think generally for most people, these aren't concerns of theirs, especially with the dramatized movies and shows we're <laughs> discussing. But also, typically, it's a, it's a pretty simple, like non-complicated process. But there are options out there for people with more complicated histories. Well, as we move away from gangsters, I can't believe you just can't then have an exception that says, we just won't, we just won't insure you if it's organized crime involved. If it's anything else, it's good. But organized crime, yeah. no. Yeah. I mean, if I made up the underwriting rules, um, which I don't, I probably would have just a Tommy Shelby <laughs> exclusion that just allows us to figure out a way to get coverage for him. But doing things like this on a one-to-one -one basis is a not very scalable business model. Because having talked to actuaries at your company before, I'm just thinking about if they did insure somebody like Thomas Shelby, because not only is he an organized crime, this guy's incredibly reckless all the time because he thinks that it's over. So screw it. I'm just going to, I mean, just imagine if they did insure him, how much money per month they'd ask for. Oh yeah. You know, you have your, your rate classes and unfortunately I have to say I'm not an actuary, but I have been at Haven Life for a while. And with my understanding of rate classes, you know, you have your several rate classes and then you actually have rate classes below um, standard, which are table ratings and kind of the lower you go down, the more expensive coverage is. And I imagine they'd have to make a very special table right. ratings class for organizing in order to provide offers to organized crime. Table quadruple Z. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe that's a new line of business for your own. I don't know, but uh, let's, let's move on to something that's safer office workers. 
And, um, well, let's start with a very famous uh, office worker. This guy's name is Don Draper. Ah, such a good show. This is Peggy Olson. I accept. Where the hell are you? Somewhere in California. Do you know how angry everyone is? Did everything fall apart without me? It's not about that. You just took off. People were worried. What have you been doing? I don't know. I have no idea. Don Draper from the long-running series Mad Men, as you know, Brittany has had a, had a bunch of these times where he's uh, he's a dark dude and he's he's not incredibly stable. Working in an office might not be bad, but Don Draper in that office of the fifties where you walk in and there's a cloud of smoke, that might be bad. Yeah, I feel like on the surface, the office workers seem like the perfect people to get coverage in place, especially someone like Don, right? You know, he's the breadwinner. He uh, has a family at home that relies on him and, you know, seemingly works at a job with low risk, right? He's in an office all day, but you add the the smoking, the substance abuse, we would definitely need a liver function test on him. But you know, spoiler, you might want to start bleeping me multiple times. I think anyone who's watched the show would know that there's also an identity verification issue. (laughs) And when you buy life insurance, they are going to verify that you are who you say you are. In which case, I think Don Draper is going to have a a real tough time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a very tough time. What about his... You know, he has these periods, too, of just just instability. We talk about physical issues that people have. But very seriously, there are people, you know, that have some trouble mentally like he does. Does that affect your rating or, or how a life insurance company looks at you? When you go through the underwriting process for a medically underwritten term policy, they do every life insurer looks at uh, your prescription history. And so if you have a history of mental illness, uh, those prescriptions would come up in the underwriting process. You know, depending on the severity, it might not impact your rates at all. But if it's incredibly severe, you know, there could be potentially, you know, an increase in how much coverage costs or even a decline. Unfortunately, with underwriting, there's so many variables that go into a decision. It's always hard to tell this on such an individual basis. But that is certainly something that could, you know, come up in the in the process. And I want to reiterate something that you and I talked about earlier. That's not a reason, by the way, to not get insurance. I like the way Rick Edelman talks about this in the book, The Truth About Money. When you find that an insurance company is a little worried about you, you should be worried about you. I mean, you should be somebody who's thinking even harder about if it's more expensive, maybe that means I probably should get it because, or I should at least figure out how to cover it because these people that do this every day, they're worried about what might happen to me later. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, when it comes to any type of illness, whether mental or physical. It also serves as a reminder of why it's so important that you get coverage, you know, right when you need it. And while you're relatively young and healthy, because none of us have any idea what could happen to us in the future that could either render us uninsurable or paying a lot more for coverage. But, you know, to take your, your very morbid example, 
when my husband and I both got life insurance coverage, um, it was because we, we bought our first house and obviously I worked at Haven Life. So I was hounding him to get coverage in place. We went through the process and my, my rate was much better than his. And so I was like, oh, that means you're more likely to die than I am. (laughs) (laughs) And And he was very unnerved by it, but I mean, it's a fact. So he came to that uh, that conclusion real quickly. Do you remind him of that every day? I would say on a weekly basis. Good, good. That's good. <laughs> That's great. That sounds like Cheryl and my relationship. So perfect. Let's contrast the very mercurial Don Draper with somebody who I'm surprised doesn't have more issues. This is a clip from the series The Office. And let's talk for a second here about Pam Beasley. Listen to this. They say if you're nervous around someone, you should picture them naked. I do not recommend this strategy. Try picturing them with more clothes on or a funny coat. Um, are you free for dinner tonight? Yes. All right. Then it's a date. And Pam has a big smile on her face. I think that's the episode, the clip of when uh, Pam and... Jim, who are flirty forever before they finally go out. Finally, he asks her out. What about Pam? Yeah, sorry about that. What what do you, what if once again, 20 year old series, if you don't know that, I don't think we need to say it. But what, what's, what, what do you think about insuring Pam? Well, first, I have to say it's, it's rather agonizing listening to a clip of The Office when, part of the beauty of the office is like seeing their reactions. And while I'm listening to this, I can just picture her face as she's telling it. And it just, it makes me smile too. I mean, of this list that we've discussed, Pam is definitely the perfect person on here. She has, um, spoiler, a real need for coverage, especially as she gets later on in the series between being married and having a family But in addition to that, you know, she has an office job with very little risk. And she also is fit. She plays volleyball and she isn't involved in organized crime. And we don't know where she is now, but I feel like there's a safe assumption that at no point in her life, Pam got involved in organized crime. So for Pam, she is going to get the coverage she needs to help protect her family. And she's probably going to get one of the best prices for it. So she's the the A plus candidate in this group. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't think that's a high bar though. (laughs) No, we said it was funny. So in in the basement group, when I was watching all of the people that everyone wanted us to discuss on this, I was thinking to myself, man, I'm going to be like a broken record. I've declined, declined, (laughs) declined, which is not the reality when people actually go to buy coverage. (laughs) These are just, you know, great sensationalized cases. Well, we don't like watching normal people on TV, right? I mean, we have to be boring. Yeah. We like something different. Speaking of something different, I want to talk about a couple of quirky things. I mean, and these are both going to be good guys turn criminals here, but uh, let's start off with one of, I know this is one of your favorite people from the show Killing Eve. Let's listen to a clip from uh, character Eve Palestri. I believe there is a female assassin operating internationally and she's targeted a number of influential people. She doesn't have a signature, but she certainly has style. And I don't know who or what is behind her, but I don't think she's slowing down. And that just interested me, I guess. But also apparently makes me a fantasist and a crackpot and completely on my own. And, you know, frankly, I don't give a shit. 
anymore. She is outsmarting the smartest of us, and for that, she deserves to do or kill whoever the hell she wants. I mean, if she's not killing me, then frankly, it's not my job to care anymore. I couldn't sleep. Mm. Staring into the abyss? No, I... What? I think I've met her. For people that don't know the show, Eve is an American working with uh, the British uh, MI5, I believe. They're spy agency. And uh, this is a show that grips Cheryl. I actually haven't seen much of this show, Brittany. And I keep getting told by people like you and my spouse and friends of mine that this is one of the best shows they've ever seen. Yeah, it's definitely uh, one of my favorite shows that I have watched in a while. And uh, the woman who actually wrote the show is also the writer and star of Fleabag. Those are both, in my opinion, at least must watch shows, but I could go on for days. (laughs) But But the specific thing I want to talk about here, she's an American working in living in a different country. Uh, People listen to us in 48 different countries. If somebody's listening to this and they're outside the U.S., are they going to have problems getting uh, insurance through a U.S. insurer? Yes. Most of the time with U.S.-based insurers, like our parent company, MassMutual, who underwrites our policies, typically what happens is they can only cover individuals who are living in the U.S. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be a citizen for example, at Haven Life, you know, last year we announced that non-citizens living in the U.S. could apply for coverage. But it is an important distinction because, by definition, Eve, who's an American living in the U.K., would probably not be able to get a U.S.-based carrier to cover her. I don't have a lot of familiarity with insurers outside the country, but she would likely need to find an insurer there who is comfortable covering you know, I don't know if she's a citizen or not, but, you know, let's make an assumption that she's a non-citizen living in London. Sure. But that's some specific stuff. I mean, if you've got these specific extenuating circumstances, you need to know going into this process, it might be a little more difficult. Yes, it might be more difficult in terms of being able to find a carrier who will be willing to issue coverage and maybe just go into it knowing that you'll probably need, just need to find a carrier that's based where you are. But otherwise, you know, even though she works for, um, you know, she's she's in this uh, CIA type environment, the Secret Service type environment, at least at the beginning of the series, she's just a paper pusher. So I don't think there's a lot of risk there. Yeah, I mean, even the beginning certainly does not have a lot of risk. She definitely becomes enamored with the assassin that she's discussing, which makes her certainly change her ways. But Um, Yeah, there are actually underwriting guidelines that are specific to law enforcement. And as you can imagine, it does specifically look at, well, you know, are you like sitting in an office all day or are you a member of the FBI with foreign travel as a constant? As you can imagine, the former being in the office, not traveling a lot is most likely not going to be an issue. But if you get to the point where you're a secret agent (laughs) doing foreign (laughs) travel, you might want to rely on that employer-provided coverage. (laughs) (laughs) 
with Eve and the next person we're going to talk about here, the situation changes though. They start in one job and then they have another job. So if I'm doing paper pusher job and I have this coverage that's eight years old, do I need to tell my insurer, Hey, I'm now involved with organized crime or I'm now involved with the secret service or my job just got a lot tougher than it used to be. Do I have any obligation to tell my insurer that? As far as I'm aware, there's no obligation to go back to your life insurance company and tell them that your your job has changed or anything like that. And I think realistically, there's no world where Marty Bird's going to go to their, his life insurance company and go, mm, so I've gotten involved with the Mexican drug cartel. Just curious where my coverage is going to stand. <laughs> Don't spoil that one. That's who's coming up next. But no, go ahead. <laughs> um, but, you know, in terms of as your life changes and what happens with your coverage and what you need to disclose a life insurance company, of course, hopes that when they cover you and you're 30 years old and you're newly married, you know, just bought a house that you're not going to develop incredibly horrible eating habits five years later and take up smoking and, you know, start living a life of organized crime. Right. Um, but you know, the reality is, is that, as we've talked about, there's a two-year contestability period, and it's really a time frame at which the life insurance company is able to protect itself from fraud or like grossly incorrect information on your application and stuff like that. And really, after the two-year contestability period, it becomes much more challenging for the life insurer to deny a claim, which is great, right, for us, the consumers, because you you want that peace of mind that if you're no longer around, your loved ones won't have a difficult time getting the coverage that you paid for. So, you know, uh, in theory, no, Marty Bird doesn't have to go back and tell his life insurance company that now that he's in his 40s, he's completely changed his life around. And the reality is he's probably protected with the contestability period. So that would just be an unfortunate you know, miss and change of events for the life insurance company. Well, and I would imagine that that's kind of, that's kind of built into it, that sometimes things change. I mean, if, if I'm an insurance company and I know that, I know that my recourse is the two year contestability period, then I, I, I know things change in people's lives. Like that's gotta be part of the decision-making process, knowing that life has different events and weird turns. Exactly. I think in terms of how coverage is priced, it really is with a level of understanding that, you know, you're not going to get it right 100% of the time. Yeah. You know, it's funny, before I started here, I didn't even know what an actuary was, or that that was a job path for me, or anyone, right. And I think it's this really interesting thing about how we all, you know, graduate from high school, and we're told we need to go to college. And most of us don't really know what we want to do. And I think for me, especially working in a life insurance company, uh, the actuaries who work here, um, and how interesting their job is statistically figuring out the likelihood of things happening and appropriately pricing coverage is so, is so fascinating. And it is crazy to think about that they have to have the foresight to understand, you know, how people's lives can change over potentially 30 years, right? That's a long time to think about. And I think the way they work and their minds work and kind of the impact that they have in this industry uh, just makes it just such a super fascinating thing to have a, a good understanding of. 
you and I might be the only two people alive that think that job's fascinating, but I do too. I totally do. Yeah. I'm like the, my, the my math. cousin told me recently, he's 18, graduated from high school. And I asked him what he was going to study in college. And he goes, Oh, I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to study actuarial sciences. I go, what? <laughs> and I have never been more proud in my life. I was like, you know, you should consider getting a minor in computer engineering. and it's uh it was amazing but yeah it's one of those career paths that i feel like very few know about but is incredibly fascinating i'm surprised you didn't give him the stacking benjamin seal of approval you know what that is i do not oh you say this to him perfect i'll play that for him (laughs) no you just say it you just go nerd then you high five him yeah, it's perfect. Those are those are our kind of people. Let's get into the last one. You've talked about him already, and I want to talk about something, actually not even specific to life insurance, but something as a guy that used to be in the inside of the financial industry. It's just a big issue across the board, but to get there, let's listen to a clip and our good friend Marty Bird, her good friend, <laughs> probably not, Marty Bird. My BFF. Yeah, from uh from Ozark. Here. Marty, stop. We have to call the police. I want you to forget it, okay? Or do you want to just role play it? Okay? I'm detective whoever the f***, and you're the wife of the top money launderer for the second largest drug cartel in Mexico. Go. I mean, come on. Policeman jail time or, or, or witness protection program, the best if we even get that far. If we make it that far, the kids and I are in danger. Huh? What, what do you want to hear? You know, people who drive trucks full of cash on the scales to weigh it because there's too much to count. They don't exactly have a code of ethics that they adhere to. We're not going to the police. Marty's got a problem here, Brittany. He really does. <laughs> he's, he's in big trouble. But we're talking about Mexican cartels. And the very specific thing that I want to address is this. When I was a financial advisor and there were times when either it was either trading stocks, buying insurances, whatever it was, there were some questions. And sometimes my clients would go, I don't understand why they need to know this. Why do they need to know this? But there are people out there that are trying to launder money. They're trying to do this stuff that probably people listening to the Stacking Benjamin show aren't interested in. But there's always a method to the madness with some of these questions. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand in the application process, wondering, well, why are you asking me this? Why do you need to know this? And it's because of life insurance companies protecting against money laundering. And, you know, Marty Bird is the perfect example of this. With term life insurance, which is what we sell at Haven Life, that's less of a concern, right? But when you get into more of the permanent policies where there's cash value, that is something that is actively monitored. And for Marty Bird in general, there are there are flags in place for money laundering. So I'm sure uh, he would get himself into some heated water with his new colleagues. <laughs> Can he get in more heated water? You know, he he never fails to amaze me. So I'm I'm going to say yes <laughs> that he will manage to do that. Yeah, maybe in season three he'll get in even more heated water. I bet for sure. Right. Thanks a ton. We talk about you guys all the time, obviously, on the show, but people can find out more at uh, havenlife.com. 
Thanks for having me. No, thanks a ton. And by the way, while we have you here, one last question that I had for you. You have been working on this uh, Haven Life Plus. And we're just, just while we have you here, you guys had a couple new companies recently that came into Haven Life Plus. First of all, tell us very briefly what Haven Life Plus is all about. And then secondly, tell me about the two new companies. Yes, I'm very excited about the new Haven Life Plus partners we have. So thank you for bringing it up. Um, So Haven Life Plus is a rider to our Haven term policy. So it's a, a benefit that you get with your coverage that provides you with access to free or discounted benefits. In the beginning, we launched with a a free will service through our partner, Trust and Will, as well as a digital vault for storing and sharing, you know, that life insurance policy and your will, as well as a discount to the Minute Clinic. So, you know, in the last last couple of weeks, we added two new partners. One um, is a fitness app called Active. And um, we've actually formed quite the cult-like following in our office now (laughs) because it's incredibly motivating, especially when you're going through a a dry spell of working out. But it's audio fitness-based and they have great workouts like strength training, really great outdoor running or treadmill workouts. They even have meditation, yoga, you kind of name it and they have it. Um, So they've been added as well as an app that gets rid of your jet lag. And so they use the latest in circadian neuroscience to create customized plans to get rid of your jet lag so that when you're traveling, you're less likely to get sick, you're able to adjust to the clock better, and most importantly, you're able to enjoy your vacation more. So both of those are included in the cost of Haven term policies, and you're able to use them for a year for free. It's so cool to see more companies being added in Anything that helps us get healthier, I'm on board, especially the jet lag as I find myself traveling more and more. You'll find that at stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Use that link uh, so they know that you listened to the show and then went through. Brittany, thanks a ton for hanging out and geeking on movies with me. Thanks for having me. I was happy to do it. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And with all of this movie talk, let's combine five of my favorite topics. Movies, video games, pool, money, and flying cars. While flying cars weren't yet invented at the time of the classic film, The Color of Money, starring Tom Cruise and Paul Newman, video game developers working on an exciting new action game from a young company called id were watching while searching for a title to call their new hit game. In one scene, they struck gold when Cruz walks into a pool hall carrying a case with his pool cue stick in it. Asked what's in the case, Cruz answered with one word that would later become the name of the hit game. What did he answer? I'll be back in a moment with your trivia answer. Well, this episode of Stacking Benjamins is brought to you by Student Loan Hero. When you are looking at your plan for school or your child's plan for school, Student Loan Hero is your first resource. Student Loan Hero is uh, the sister company, by the way, of Magnify Money. And you'll see it set up very closely to the way that Magnify Money's set up, which is why we like them so much. There are tons of financial calculators there, like prepayment calculators, refinancing your debt calculators, all 20 of them you can look at at the Student Loan Hero site. Not only that, they will talk to you about programs like forgiveness programs, how to lower your payments, how to refinance your student loans, 
And some big questions, one of my favorite pieces on the Student Loan Hero site is 10 essential things to ask before refinancing your student loans. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to do it, and you want to work with a partner who knows what they're doing, and certainly Student Loan Hero has all of those resources. So your first place for all things student loans, whether it's the loans themselves, the products to refinance, lower payments, forgiveness options, calculators, whatever it might be, head to Student Loan Hero for an education on financing your education. Welcome back, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And if you're thinking I didn't involve flying cars enough into my trivia question, I'd agree. So let's start your answer this way. While flying cars are hopefully on the way soon, right now I do have the name that video game developers for a young company id found when they heard Tom Cruise talk about his pool cue stick as he entered the billiard hall in the classic movie The Color of Money. So, what did he say? When asked what was in the case, Cruise answered, Doom, which became the title of one of the biggest and best-selling games of all time. Within no time of releasing the game, the company found themselves making $100,000 a day from a shareware title priced at just $9. Experts estimate that the game sold approximately 2 to 3 million copies in six years and was played by 10 million people during the first two years of its launch. Talk about the color of money. That's some serious Benjamin stacking, y'all. See ya! Big thanks to Brittany Burgett for, for stopping by. Oh, gee, it's funny the way that when you start looking at things through the actuary's eyes, you get a much clearer picture. And life insurance companies, while they do want to make a profit, might not just be the evil entities that some people think they are. I think one of the balancing acts that actuaries have to do, you know, is they have to balance the needs for everybody. And that includes the existing policyholders as well. So... If you're somebody who has an existing policy, you want to make sure that they're doing a good job of managing that risk because, you know, you kind of want yours to be around. You don't want them to go out of business before you uh, need yours, so to speak. I just can't believe that that career you and I were talking about, about smuggling drugs for a Mexican cartel, we're not going to be able to do that and apply for life insurance at the same time. That's kind of annoying. I was not talking about that officially. (laughs) Not on the air, anyway. Definitely not. Definitely not on the podcast, <laughs> I wouldn't say it. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first. Mucho coffee-o today-o. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's actually your loved ones in your time, but mucho coffee, I think, should be number three on here. It's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. Uh, their prices are affordable. Their policies issued by parent company Mass Mutual, more than 160 year old insurer. And of course, it's where our friend Brittany works. Today, by the way, OG, we got a special guest who's just walked down the stairs to help us answer some of these questions because we're out of our depth on the Haven Lifeline today. And for that, we're we, always out of our depth. We are totally always out of our depth. So somebody who actually knows what she's talking about, Leslie Tane joins us. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm so happy you happen to be walking through the neighborhood. At the same time, imagine that, we get some questions that are exactly in your wheelhouse. 
What a coincidence. Is, Perfect timing. It is serendipity. So, so strange. So let's get to it. Uh, we've got two of them today. We're going to throw out the lifeline first to Abby. Abby writes, hey, guys, just listen to your show with David Carlson about student loans. By the way, that shows how far behind we got with these letters because, uh, oh, gee, that might have been a few months ago. I was recently helping a friend with taxes and learned something new about the income-driven repayment plans. It's kind of a big deal. Apparently, while these student loans are deferred, the interest doesn't accrue. However, if the borrower leaves the repayment plan, switches plans, or eventually makes too much money and gets kicked out of the plan, the full amount of accrued interest is capitalized. So suddenly, their total balance increases substantially. And oh yeah, the interest is now part of principal, so paying off early will not reduce the interest payable. Have you heard of this happening? Am I understanding this correctly? Thanks. Uh, Leslie, I think that's true. Is that true? So it is partially true uh, under certain circumstances because that's only true for certain type of loans. So let's take a couple steps backwards and we talk about deferment. You know, when you can't pay the loans and you need a, a period of time for a breather, you can request a deferment or forbearance. Generally, in a deferment, the interest is not accumulating on the type of loan, accruing on certain type of loans. But that's only true, again, on certain type of loans. Unsubsidized loans and plus loans do accrue interest during deferment. The interest is not covered by the government, so you either need to make monthly payment interest or allow the interest to capitalize. The With subsidized loans, the interest is covered by the government. So the point is that, yes, that can happen, that if you don't get back on the bandwagon properly, your the interest, the unpaid interest can be placed back into principal, and then your loans could be substantially higher than they were before. So the key is... To ask that question, then I assume, is my loan subsidized, unsubsidized, plus whatever? The key really is to understand your loans. And one of the biggest problems with the student loan world is the lack of understanding of the type of loans that an individual has. And you may, as an individual, have have a, a several different types of loans, depending on what you took out and what your needs were during undergraduate or even graduate school. So each one of those loans, you really need to keep a log or a book, you know, there's so many ways to understand it. Take notes and understand, okay, so this loan that I took in semester one in year 1998 or or 2010, whatever year you took out those loans was for this type and the, the interest is accruing or it's not. So you have to understand the loans. And the only way to really get on top of paying them off and understanding what your, not only your rights, but the impact, because things change, your family size changes, or if you get married or divorced or income goes up or down, all of that could impact the loan. Yeah, that's, uh, oh, gee, we've seen that even in our basement Facebook group. I mean, the, the, our money nerds that hang out with us on Facebook even run into this. We see this every three or four weeks. It's tough. Student loans are really, really, really super complicated. And I think it's important just to recognize that each one of them is different. Just because you have six of them that are the same from these six semesters, that doesn't mean that the other eight of them are are the same as well. And like Leslie said, they're you got to keep a record of this yeah. stuff because they all have different, you know, proclivities. 
Yeah. You have to stay organized. You really do. Yeah. Because the truth is in order to help yourself and get the best possible repayment plan for yourself, you have to understand the loan and the nuances of the loan. You know, what is it that you're going to do in your life that's going to impact these loans and the repayment of them? And understand also that under a lot of these repayment plans, you have to recertify these loans every single year. So that means that you can't just, you know, set up payments under certain circumstances and just forget about it. You have to go back to your borrower and your servicer and you have to recertify and make sure that your loans are still part of the program that you're in, which is one of the biggest issues with the uh, public student loan forgiveness program, which is that so many, there's so many opportunities to fall off that bandwagon and for your loans to become disqualified. You do, it's a full-time, I don't want to say full-time job, but I want to say it does require full-time concentration to really stay on top of it. Otherwise, at the end of the 10 years, you're going to think that your loans are being forgiven. Then all of a sudden you're going to find out that you owe twice as much that you thought you owed. I was about to ask you that, that very question, Leslie. I'm sure you see that all the time. People come to you and they say, I thought my loans were going to be forgiven because I followed what I thought were the rules. And there was one little rule they didn't follow. A hundred percent. That's exactly what happens. There are so many ways, so many cracks in the pavement when it comes along the road that it's likely not unlikely, but likely that your loans are at some point going to be disqualified. There are so few people who've ever had their loans forgiven under those specific circumstances in the public loan student, uh, you know, public loan forgiveness program that the chances are that you're likely not going to have your loan forgiven. So you need to stay on top of it and you need to be aware that any kind of changes. And you know what? 10 years is a long time. Think about where you were 10 years ago or where you're going to be 10 years from now. Married children, graduations, uh, other expenses, life changes, job changes. All of that is going to impact the repayment plan. I had a lot more hair 10 years ago, Leslie. <laughs> that was the big difference. Is that, is that true, though? I don't know. If I have I more like hair, I, I feel like I've yeah, I feel like I've known you a really long time, and you pretty much have always looked the way you do. Well, I didn't say that I had. I have more hair. Did I say a ton more hair? I don't, I don't know. I did have more. You said you had more hair, but yeah. I had different color hair ten years ago. So, so as my children have aged, they've aged me. I've had the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I've got this silver stuff going. I don't know where that's come from. I, I think it's just the sun shining on our heads. It's, I don't know. It's got to be. Yeah. Uh, uh, Leslie, here's another one that, uh, is, uh, directly for you. This comes to us from Eddie. Eddie says, Hey, Joe and OG question that I'm sure a small subset of your listeners, professional students have, I'm finally about to finish training as a physician and my income is about to multiply four to six times, depending on where I work. And if my wife starts residency as well, we currently have $800,000 in student debt. I, a, Good night. I had to read that twice. $800,000, 600 uh, government at about six and a half. And she had to do another 200 to eight to 11% private. Our only other obligations are our cars about 10,000 at 4%. No intent on upgrading better cars with this debt and our mortgage on our condo. We plan on renting our condo, moving to a town home temporarily to save money, use as a rental property once we pay down our debt and can afford our next home using a physician's mortgage. Other than maximizing my tax-free contributions to the 401k and maybe an HSA, 
I will not qualify for a Roth. Should I be investing anywhere else or just pay down this debt? Obviously, refinance higher interest, pay down the, uh, that debt first. I don't have an emergency fund yet, but do have about $50,000 worth of credit line, student loan amounts that high or an emergency. So I was going to get that under control prior to starting a fund. I also don't trust the loan forgiveness program and the jobs that qualify for that will drop my income at least six figures. Plus the tax bill on that would be insane. Am I crazy for not considering loan forgiveness? I've insured myself appropriately as well. Umbrella car life home with adequate coverage as an FYI. So Leslie, we've got you here to ask if that question, is he crazy for not considering loan forgiveness? So the loan forgiveness program requires you to work for up to, uh, you know, for 10 years in a public service position, and that will keep his income substantially lower. My thought on that is given the fact that he's a physician and his income is going to multiply four to six times, uh, that's a substantial increase in income. So if I was looking at that, it's unlikely that I would make the argument that it makes sense for him to consider the student loan forgiveness just to pay down his debt. He may actually, depending on the dollar for dollar amount of income that he has, be able to pay off a pretty substantial amount of his student loans under a regular program. Now there is, depending on the type of loans that he has, a program, a regular forgiveness program where he would be able to pay that off in a 20 or 25, it's really a 25 year period because of the fact that it's a graduate program. So he might be better off just setting up the regular repayment plan and forget and basically forgetting about it and just every single month making the payment. And then at some point in time, when he has a substantial amount of money in the bank, he can pay it off. It's not an uncommon thing for those who are going into professions or become Uh, very successful as their career advances. So what he should do is take a look at, you know, across the board, what that repayment is going to be to his student loans, and then what kind of money is left over. He should definitely start an emergency fund for sure, but also start thinking about other types of investments, given the fact that he's likely on the younger side. So considering different types of life insurance policies, uh, especially if they're going to start a family and other types of investments that he can help his money to grow all while he's paying down his student loans. You know, 800 grand is a very large amount. It's not an unusual number for physicians, um, dentists, veterinarians, and those that have to go not only for, um, you know, the full four years of undergraduate, but also four plus years and then residency considerations after they graduate from uh, their profession where they aren't aren't earning a lot of money and then their incomes, you know, increase substantially. So again, I don't think that if I was looking at this just based on what I'm looking at black and white, that I would make the recommendation that he go into a public position. I would take the private position, earn as much as you can, go into an income uh, repayment program. I mean, it's not, he's not going to qualify basically for an income based repayment because his income is going to be substantial, but there may be a cap on how much he has to pay depending on the type of loans that he has. And therefore he can just set up automatic payments. It'll fit really easily into his budget and just forget about it. And every single month it gets paid. And then it's, it may not even be the type of program where he has to recertify it either. So again, it goes back to sort of the first question that we had, which is understanding the nuances of the type of loan that he has. He says it's government-based, but what type of government-based loan is it? And going back to the servicer and saying, tell me about this loan. What are are the options with this loan in terms of either an income-based or a regular repayment plan? 
And would I qualify for 25 years of straight payments? And at the end of the 25 years, it's forgiven. And he'd have to make sure that that's set up and he doesn't fall off. And if his income changes at all, he may be able to go back in and ask for a change of circumstance. So I would definitely look across the board when you're talking about having that much income of investments and repayments of the loan. It's interesting when we look at the cash flow involved here. Yeah, it's a good point. The cash flow piece is really important because, you know, if his is going to increase by that much, he may be earning $50,000 a year as a as a resident or uh, whatever intern program he's in. Yeah. And then if that changes substantially and now all of a sudden he's earning two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 a year, you know, to, to decide, well, should I take the $250,000 a year job or should I take a $50,000 a year job and try to have my student loans forgiven? The truth is when we're looking at that much cash flow, the reality is he can build himself a really nice future with more income yeah. and just get the loans into repayment and forget what the balance is. You know, I tell people that all the time. I understand that when you look at the balance, it's overwhelming and you feel like falling off a cliff because you're looking at $800,000, right. but just make the payment on it. It shows that you're making the payments. If you're in one of these type of fields or your business or you're starting a business and it becomes wildly successful, you could pay it off. I happen to be one of those people that was in that situation. When I graduated from law school, I had huge loans. And, it, and at one point I was like, okay, I just set up the payment and I forgot about it. For a very long time, I forgot about it. And the amount just came out of my bank account every single month till one day my accountant said, hey, by the way, you know, you have enough money in there to just pay it off. Why don't you just pay it off? Bam. So, right. And that can happen in, in, in many, many types of opportunities. So think about it that way. And I would not have taken a public position in order to pay that down when I have much more opportunity in private positions to where my income is not going to be capped. And you said these loans are generally 25 year loans. No, the um, repayment, the forgiveness program is generally 25 years on a, uh, on a graduate loan. So, you know, in terms of the um, federal, you know, the federal loan forgiveness type of programs on um, the graduate programs are a little bit longer than the undergraduate program. So again, it depends on the type of uh, loan he's on, but as a general rule, 25 years, if any loans you're repaying under the plan were received for graduate or professional study. And that's under the income driven repayment plans, also called repay plan. Gotcha. Well, my thought process is, is that with $800,000, there's no way he's going to pay that off in three years, four years, five years. Oh, gee. So we're looking at probably at least 10 years, which is why I like Leslie's strategy of save the money elsewhere put it in a spot because the six and a half percent number over a 10, 12, 15 year period is very beatable. Just pay it. Just make the payment and live your life and use the rest of the money to live your life, buy a home, have a family, go on vacations, do all the things that you need to do. But your your student loans are being repaid and it's just another payment that you have, but you're able to enjoy your life. The flip side of that is some people think I should just torture myself and pay, you know, as much money as possible towards my student loans and have no life in his situation because his income is so substantial. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to not take the private job. But I do want to say one thing. So we're talking about government loans now. On the private loan side, there is an option to pay that down considerably. So he was saying that his wife had a private loan or there is a portion of the loans that are private. Private loans are negotiable. 
So if they went into default on the private loans, you know, in a very controlled environment, so I want to be very careful about making the suggestion that somebody shouldn't be paying their loans, but if they find themselves in a position where they can't afford to repay private loans and they go behind, private loans are negotiable and negotiable to the point where you can cut them to a third or less of the balances interest-free in terms of settlements. So keep that in mind that if, you know, you find yourself in a position where you can't pay and you have to choose between these federal loans and private loans, the reality is that you might choose to, to continue with your federal loans and you might choose not to apply the money that you don't have towards those private loans with the idea that you can come up with a, a resolution with your creditor for substantially less than what you owe. I wish you knew something about this, Leslie. <laughs> I only know a little bit. I wish you had an opinion. I, you know, the, uh, when uh, uh, when generally these do pe- are opinions only, not legal advice. <laughs> that that's and that's that's a great point there too. When does somebody generally come see you? At what point in the debt process do you find that they come see you and your team? People come to see me with student loans at all stages of the game. So very often, both of those type of questions are common questions that I would get on a consult basis. So the way I work is we charge a very nominal amount for a a consult to discuss the type of loans that that individual would have and give them my opinion on what would be best under their individual personal financial circumstances. And then I do have people who come to me who've been sued over private student loans, who are behind on all kinds of loans, or their loans are coming due and they don't know what to do. I regularly settle private student loans. So, um, you know, the other day I just took one from a hundred and I can tell you a hundred, about over a hundred thousand dollars and turned it into about 30,000 over 60 months interest free. So that's a heck of a savings. And yes, there is a tax implication for that at the end of the time frame, but think about the savings and how quickly that was paid off. So you, you do have to have the means to do that. And you do have to be in a position generally, it can't just be you coming to me because you don't feel like paying your loans. Right. It's coming right. to me when you, <laughs> you know, you say to me, listen, I can't afford this payment. What am I going to do? I need to put food on the table or, you know, I don't understand my loans. I, I just don't understand what I'm supposed to do. I mean, this, this particular physician is like the regular client that comes to me. What do I do now? Now I grab graduated. What do I do now? I heard a comedian talk about that the other day. He said, I found out recently that our son's going to explode at some point and this whole world's just going to end up in ash. So I thought, why pay my loans? (laughs) (laughs) I get that all the time. People call me up and they say to me, so I understand all these candidates for um, the next presidential election are talking about student loan forgiveness. Should I just not pay my loans and see what happens? Oh, Oh, I that's said, you, uh, you really want me to answer that? Yeah, yeah. Take <laughs> I'm some... going to charge you double for that. <laughs> that's right. Take some responsibility, for goodness sakes. Uh, how do people find you, Leslie? Um, so easy to find on the internet for sure. Leslie Tain, T-A-Y-N-E, at the Tain Law Group, T-A-Y-N-E-L-A-W.com. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, I was gonna say, um, you are, Instagram. You are everywhere, of. yes. Everywhere. Yes, and you've written for just about every major publication that talks about debt. We'll link to you, by the way. If, if, if people are walking the dog or they're on their commute, we'll link to you on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. I'm so glad you happen to be upstairs talking to mom at the same time we got these questions. Imagine that. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad I was here, too. We, we call that uh, we call it an LT spot. It is, it's amazing. It's showing up in my spot right in front of the stores right there. Just perfect. Yeah.
Thanks again to Leslie for dropping by. Oh, gee, I was serious when I said that. I wish she, I wish she had an idea about how this stuff worked. Yeah, right. No kidding. <laughs> I wish she was a little bit more passionate. I mean, I so so bland in her response. I I love it when our guests are able to just bring it. I'm like, yeah, hey, uh, this might be a good thing for Leslie. Uh, so thanks again to her, by the way, that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this show. In fact, mom has had a lot of reviews lately on the refrigerator. And this one is five stars from Taylor Maine said, not disappointed. I try with your podcast. Every episode, you talk richly and smartly about real estate agents and their commissions without teaching anyone anything. I think they're talking about a particular episode where we were talking about uh, real estate commissions. And we actually had a uh, who I think was a real estate agent who said that we didn't know what we were talking about. And it's funny, the number of people who said that we did. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this person felt compelled to leave a review. But Taylor says, thanks for always keeping the episode on track while the other two uh, guys goof off, Doug. Thanks to Doug for keeping us on track. That's right. Nice job, Taylor, with that one. Mom's very proud of that and uh, has it for the Bridge Club today on the fridge. If you leave us a review of this show, there's a good chance that'll end up on Mom's fridge as well. Lastly, OG and his team are taking clients. And so if you want to see how their team can interface with your team to help you get better financial wellness, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG for their calendar to get that scheduled. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, take some advice from Brittany Burgett. While you might pay extra for insurance while you aren't in your best shape, cover your need now and then ask for a discount later once you work through your health issues. You don't want to leave your family underinsured. Second, take some advice from attorney Leslie Tain and dig into your student loans. They aren't all created equal. But the big lesson... If you're smart, you'll always share Brittany's movie and show list with Joe Mom. She's making popcorn and fudge for our Peaky Blinders Marathon tonight. Come on over, everybody. Special thanks to Brittany Burgett at Haven Life. For more from Haven Life, go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And another big special thanks to Leslie Tain. Want more from Leslie? Visit TainLawGroup.com or you can find her link in our show notes at Stacking Benjamins. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just noticed it's just as dark and damp down here as Joe's soul. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor.
Welcome to the After Show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. Often on the After Show, OG and I talk about recent movies we've seen, board games we like, video games we played, places we've gone, hilarious stuff that happens to us. In this case, my nephew was just here, and I used that as an excuse to see the fourth installment OG in this little-known franchise. Don't know if you... Have you ever heard of this movie called Toy Story? We saw it right when it came out. Toy Story was my daughter's first movie. Toy Story 4 was? Yeah. Ah, so we can both talk about this. Let's listen to a clip. Woody? Why am I alive? You are a toy. You belong to Bonnie. These are your friends. Woody, I have a question. Um, well, actually, not just one. I have all the questions. Who wants to go on a road trip? Me! Vacation! You need help with that. No, no, I got it. I know, this is a little strange, but we all have to make sure nothing happens to Forky. Woody! Uh, something happened to him. Buzz, we gotta get Forky! Roger that. So, uh... The panic is attacking me. (laughs) There's lots of lines like that in this movie. Uh, Bonnie, who, if you remember in Toy Story 3, now is uh, Woody and Buzz and the whole gang's new friend, new uh, kid that they belong to. Bonnie is going on a trip with her family, and she's very afraid of kindergarten. And because of that, at the beginning of the movie, she makes a toy. Woody helps her make a toy called Forky. And uh, Forky, the voice of which is played by Tony Hale, if you don't know that name, if you ever watched Arrested Development, you know, he's the person who's Buster on Arrested Development. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Didn't know that. Tony plays the part of Forky. And uh, Forky is uh, Forky because generally a spork is trash. Forky goes through this hilarious part at the start of the movie where he thinks he's trash. And so he keeps trying to throw himself away (laughs) and uh, the toy's got to convince himself he's a toy. So Forky gets away and hilarity ensues. And that brings up this whole movie. When I see OG, let's start here. When I see the fourth installment of a series, I generally think this is going to be creatively bankrupt, right? There's not going to be anything happening here. So going into toy story four, my expectations were pretty low. Even though it was Pixar, I still was like, ah, Toy Story 4. Mm. Yeah. I think there's been a little bit of a roller coaster in the quality on 2 and 3 also. I thought 3 was really good. I thought 2 was not that great. I'm trying to remember them. Well, was was well, 3 the one with Bonnie where they went to the daycare? Three was the one where Andy, uh, he said goodbye to Andy and they go to Bonnie. Yeah. Yeah. To the daycare. Yeah. That one was very realistic, especially for the part in the life where we were in, in our lives as, you know, parents where we had a couple of kids in daycare Yeah, and the whole scene where they're like eating the toys and like just smashing them. And well, and I was at the point where my kids were like Andy where my kids were were headed to college and mm-hmm. uh and so for where I was I was also at a point in life. I mean that's just an inflection point in any parent's life and any kid's life that everybody knows about. Uh what do you think of this movie? I thought it was good. You know, it was good in the 
Pixar good way. Like it wasn't earth shatteringly awesome. It wasn't. I know a lot of people were like, "Oh, it's so sad." Well, really? You know. Um, I I, th- I thought this was phenomenal. I yeah, thought it. Okay. I, I thought I just, this. I thought this. There was so few explosions. I thought the storyline was so good, and and the, the number of times when I found myself laughing, and I don't, I you know, I found a lot of these these uh, cartoons resort to poop jokes and fart jokes and body humor because there's just they just they don't have it, and Pixar wants to tell this really good story, and some of the funny things that happen. And then the turnaround, and I won't give away the ending, but the turnaround in the characters that are, you know, the good guys and the bad guys in the movie, and um, the way Pixar is able to make it so that you can see everybody's motivation, I thought for a kid's movie was phenomenal. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's good. Like, it's not going to make my list of, like, best movies that I would watch again ever in my entire life, given the opportunity. It wasn't but, Fast and the Furious 5, for God's sake. <laughs> for crying out loud, no. <laughs> if it would have been that, it would have been way better. Well, there was a car chase. They're chasing the, preview for they're that, chasing the RV. Yep, there was that. So there's that. No, no uh-huh. explosions, but they do have Keanu Reeves plays the part of, uh, what's his name? Doug Canada or somebody yeah, Canada? Yeah, yeah, the... Uh, the the action race or you know like evil can evil wannabe yeah guy yeah yeah it's pretty funny yeah he's he's there like are a lot of funny parts just like you said I mean there's a lot of parts in there where you kind of there are funny parts for kids there are funny parts for adults the story was well done you know it's definitely a thumbs up movie we're still saying that at our house when people go can I yes I Canada just a great great line. I can see why it got like a, I don't know, I think it's 95% Rotten Tomato score. It's a good way to tie everything up. Yeah, take your, but is it tied up? You think they're going to keep, I think they're going to keep going. I don't think so. I think this, you know, the first one was launched in 95, right? This has been a 25 year process. They certainly, to your point, they certainly ended it at a spot where they could, it could be tied up. A freaking quarter century of Toy Stories. Yeah, won't give away that either, but I was surprised by what happened at the end there. But it was definitely... You can tie it up there. I saw it all coming. That's the boring part, too. You're like, I know where this is going. Oh, man. Yeah, I did. I had no willing suspension of disbelief. I was like, let's get out of here. Let's blow this up. <laughs> is, there, is there somebody with an attack rifle? No, let me do that again. <laughs> is there somebody here with like a tank missile? Like, where are the G.I. Joe people from the Toy Story 1? They don't have those anymore because Arlie Ermey's gone, so they can't, you know. Fewer Bo Peeps, more action uh, G.I. Yeah. Joes. G.I. Joes, right. That's your, that's your one-star review. Exactly. Too much Bo Peep. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees 
are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy federal website, resources like best cities after service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.